see you here. If you have your uh, Bible uh, Bible app, feel free to turn to Ruth chapter four. Uh, for several weeks, we have been walking through this amazing book in the Old Testament, the book of Ruth. And as we've been discovering, it is a great story to be going through during the Christmas season because at the heart of the story is love. The main theme of this entire story is articulated in a Hebrew word, um, a particular Hebrew word that we've been referencing over and over, and that is the word hesed. Hesed. Our English language doesn't really have a single word that accurately and completely translates this word hesed. Often it's translated love or loving kindness, but, but what hesed describes is really a particular kind of love, a loyal, committed, tenacious, sacrificial, even stubborn love. I mean, it really is a supernatural love that transcends our feelings and it transcends our circumstances. It is a love that is from God, which is why this story is the perfect story to be looking at during the Christmas season. I mean, for a believer in Jesus, at the heart of Christmas is not shopping and snowflakes and, and cookies and all of that. No, no. At the heart of Christmas is this tenacious, committed, loyal love of God for us, demonstrated in this radical way by God coming to earth and becoming one of us. Now, this amazing, this amazing love is going to be demonstrated in a very powerful way in the passage that we are looking at today. So let me quickly kind of summarize what has happened up to this point in this story. So early in, in Ruth, we learned that a guy named Elimelech took his wife Naomi and their two sons from Bethlehem to Moab because of a famine. And in Moab, tragedy strikes. Not only does Naomi's husband Elimelech die, but also her two adult sons die. And so she is left with nothing. So she decides to re return to Bethlehem because she hears that God has provided for his people. And so as she sets out, for Bethlehem, her daughter-in-law, Ruth, a Moabite, insists on coming with her. Ruth commits herself not only to Naomi, but also to Naomi's God. So Ruth becomes a follower of God. And so they return to Bethlehem in poverty, and they begin to try and make ends meet. And Ruth ends up gleaning in, a in the field of a man named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's. Boaz is very kind to Ruth. And Naomi sees in Boaz a possible way for Ruth to have someone to provide for her and continue the family line. So Naomi comes up with a plan. And this plan is based on a very important term used throughout the book of Ruth. And that is the term, the word redemption. Redemption In the Old Testament law, God had provided a way for widows to be taken care of. Without their husband in that culture, they would be left financially destitute. And so what God said in his law was that if a husband dies, there was an obligation for one of the brothers to marry the widow, to have children, so that her family legacy would continue. And the word used to describe this particular particular action was the word redeem. He would redeem her. 
So because Boaz is a close relative, Naomi sees in him the real possibility for redemption for Ruth, that Boaz would marry Ruth in order to continue her family line. So two weeks ago, we saw Naomi's plan begin to unfold, where Ruth goes at night, she presents herself to Boaz, and she, and she presents to Boaz her desire for him to redeem her. And he, in turn, expresses his desire for that as well. Now, we would think that that's kind of where the story would be over. They get married, they have kids, and live happily ever after. But the story is not over because, like any good story, there is always a conflict that has to happen. There's a conflict that presents itself. Something to this, there, there's something that's a barrier to this love story happening. I mean, every great love story has this. Romeo and Juliet, Pride and Prejudice, any Nicholas Sparks movie, right? They, they all have this, this barrier, this tension that has to be resolved in order for this love to be experienced. And that is also true in the book of Ruth. There is a barrier to this happening. And Boaz lets Ruth know right up front about this barrier. He says to her in Ruth 3, I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know you're a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I'm a family guardian, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your family guardian, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Bummer, right? I mean, you can kind of feel the wind go out of our sails here. Everything was lining up for the happy ending, this perfect happy ending. But now that may not happen. It may not happen. There is another person who is actually a closer relative than Boaz, which means that this other person has first right of refusal, that this other person has the first option to redeem Ruth. But as we're going to see in a moment, it is actually way more, it's, it's way more complicated than that um, because this is not just about marrying Ruth. It's also about acquiring the property that was in Elimelech's name. So this is kind of a package deal. In order to redeem Ruth, this person also has to redeem, purchase this property. Okay, so we already feel this tension in the story. What if this other person chooses to redeem the land and Ruth and Boaz, our hero, would be out of the picture, right? So this leads to Ruth chapter four, beginning in verse one. Let me read this entire section here, one to verse one to 10, and then we'll unpack it. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the, fam the, 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 the family guardian he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the family guardian, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. 
For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. Okay, what's going to happen? What's he going to choose? We feel the tension, right? I will redeem it, he said. Bummer, okay? Uh, Does this story end right there? No, 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 it doesn't. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the family guardian said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Huge sigh of relief throughout the movie theater, right? Uh, Okay. Um, Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and the transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the family guardian said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. Music begins playing, smiles all around, right? It happened. Twoo, love, right here. No. Uh, so, okay, so, so what, is this, what is this particular passage saying to us? Clearly, this passage is about redemption. The word redemption, from a biblical perspective, is huge. The word redeem means to forgive, to buy back, to set a captive free. It is a beautiful and powerful word. Naomi and Ruth both experience redemption in this story. Ruth was a Moabite. She was a foreigner. She was an outcast. Naomi and Ruth were destitute. They were unable to provide for themselves. Their future looked very bleak. They were in financial captivity. They were in a cycle of poverty, and they were unable to get out. Their situation was hopeless. But into their story walks Boaz, who becomes their redeemer. He sets them free from financial captivity. He sets Ruth free from isolation. He establishes her future and he honors her husband's legacy. Now, even though redemption is clearly a theme in this passage, this passage isn't simply about redemption. It's about a redeemer. Boaz is an amazing redeemer. So I want us to look at why that is the case. What is it about Boaz that enables him to do this for Ruth and Naomi? Now, there are are three things that I want to highlight from this passage about this redeemer. So first of all, I want us to notice that Boaz has a willingness to redeem Ruth. He has a willingness to redeem Ruth. As we saw in chapter 3, when Ruth presents to Boaz her desire to come under his covering, Boaz doesn't hesitate. He doesn't waffle. He says yes. In fact, let's look again at his actual words. He says, I will do for you all you ask. As surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. See, this is about as strong as you can state something. He is invoking the Lord himself. As surely as the Lord lives, I will do this. 
See, there's an amazing resolve here. There is a tenacious commitment. This is a man who is making a promise, who is putting his word on the line. Why? Because he is totally willing to do this. His heart is totally in this. He wants to do this for Ruth and for Naomi. He wants to redeem them. Now contrast that with the other relative we were just introduced to in the story. Even though this other guy is a closer relative, technically speaking, he's a closer relative, he doesn't want to redeem Ruth. He is unwilling to redeem Ruth. Why? Well, he admits He's concerned about his own estate. The, the, the cost, the impact on his own inheritance is too great. He realizes that if he takes Ruth into his home as his wife and they have children, suddenly his, his, other, his own children and his estate will suffer because all that will now meet, need to be divided up in a way that includes Ruth and her children. And that doesn't make financial sense to him. It is not a good business deal for him because of the, the potential impact upon his own inheritance. He is more, he's more concerned about self-preservation than he is about redeeming and helping. He is more concerned about his own legacy than he is about her legacy. He sees Ruth as a problem rather than as a blessing. But that's not how Boaz views Ruth. Boaz demonstrates a different heart, a different motivation. Boaz wanted a relationship with Ruth. Boaz wanted to help Naomi. His heart was totally in this. He was willing to be their redeemer. See, this is Hesed love in action. He didn't see Ruth as a problem, as an outcast, as a foreigner, as a burden, even though this other man saw her that way. No, no, he, Boaz saw Ruth through the eyes of Hesed. And because of that, was willing to redeem her and Naomi, providing a legacy and provision for both of them. <clears throat> now, there's a second reason that Boaz make, made such a great and amazing redeemer. And that's because Boaz also has the wisdom to redeem Ruth. <clears throat> Excuse me. He has the wisdom to redeem Ruth. This story provides us with a very unique front row seat into how business negotiations happened in that culture. We're told that Boaz sat down at the city gate to wait for this other relative to come along. The city gate in that culture, the city gate was where the elders of the city gathered, sort of like McDonald's today. Okay, uh, and they all had coffee, right? Um, but, but it, it was kind of like that, but it actually had more significance than just hanging out. The city gate was a place for public business. It was really like city hall. It's kind of like city hall. It was a place where official transactions would take place. So Boaz goes to the city gate with the intent purpose to redeem Ruth. But notice how he goes about this. This is so fascinating. He doesn't initially say anything about Ruth being a part of the deal. And this is totally on purpose. This is totally on purpose. He has a strategy he is utilizing here. He is being shrewd in order to get what he wants. 
See, sometimes we as Christians think it is unspiritual to be shrewd in business dealings. But Jesus actually told a parable in Luke 16 where he praises a manager for being shrewd. Shrewdness is not unspiritual. It is a mark of wisdom. Now, Boaz wasn't deceiving anyone. He, he wasn't deceiving anyone. He just chose not to disclose everything about the deal initially. Why? I think it was in order to get exactly what he wanted out of the deal to redeem Ruth. So he starts by explaining to this nearest relative that Naomi is wanting to do a short sell of her husband's land. And since this guy is the closest relative, he has first right of refusal. Now, Boaz also makes it clear that if this guy says no, he himself is willing to buy it. Again, there's no deception here. Boaz is not deceiving anyone. He's just being strategic about when he shows his hand. So this man says, I will redeem it. To which Boaz immediately replies, by the way, there is one teeny tiny other aspect of this transaction that you need to know about. On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. See, Boaz has done his homework. He has thoroughly thought through his strategy. He is not winging this. He has carefully planned out how he's going to present this. And he has chosen to wait until the last minute to bring up this obligation that includes taking Ruth as this man's wife. And his strategy works. It works. This man says that I can't redeem it because it would negatively impact my own estate. Buy it yourself and then he takes off his sandal, which the narrator explains was, was a way to legalize a land transaction. We don't know exactly what this referred to, but it probably was a symbol. He's taking off his sandal. It was a symbol that said, this is no longer my property. I, in other words, I'm not going to walk on this property anymore. That's why the sandal. It's your property. I'm not going to walk on it as if it's mine because it is now your property. So that's probably what was going on there. So Boaz then announces to the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are my witnesses. The deal is done. It is now official. The Boaz has used his integrity and his shrewdness and his wisdom as a businessman to get what he wanted. And there is nothing unspiritual about that. Some of you have God-given gifts in the area of business and legal matters. These are not unspiritual gifts. They are abilities God has given you to use for his glory, to see his vision move forward. So use those gifts. Don't be embarrassed by them. Don't be ashamed of them. Use those gifts for God's glory. Use them for God's glory. Now, there's one other thing that makes Boaz such a good redeemer. It's not just that he has the willingness to redeem Ruth and the wisdom to redeem Ruth and Naomi. Boaz also has the resources. 
He has the resources to redeem them. I mean, if someone has the wisdom and the willingness, but not the resources, they would be unable to redeem someone else. Willingness and all the, you know, willingness and wisdom aren't enough. You have to have the resources. Boaz has the resources. He has the financial resources to make this deal happen. Throughout this book, we have seen how Boaz is a very accomplished businessman. He is. I mean, he was able to keep his business going during a famine. He is able to employ numerous workers. He speaks blessing over his employees. He is generous using his business as a ministry to the poor. He, he, he is a man who keeps his word. He is a man of wisdom and shrewdness. And because of all of that, because of all of that, over the years, Boaz has acquired the resources to be able to redeem Ruth immediately when this situation arose. He didn't have to run to the bank to get a loan. He didn't have to run to relatives to ask to borrow money. No, he, he had in his possession all the resources needed to purchase this land and to accomplish Ruth and Naomi's redemption. Now, as I, as I alluded to earlier, sometimes we fall into this line of thinking that there is a secular world and there's a sacred world, right? And, and the way this kind of plays out is if you want to be used by God, then you need to go into full-time ministry, which usually means going to seminary and then getting hired by a church. But that's not how the Bible views life. It doesn't. Or spirituality. In the Hebrew mindset, all of life is spiritual. See, Boaz is this model of spirituality, of full-time ministry. Boaz is in full-time ministry. He is using his gifts and abilities. He is using his business and his heart all for the purpose of blessing other people. And God does amazing things through him. So let me just ask, let me just ask, whatever line of work you are in, whatever line of work you're in, education, healthcare, homemaking, business, retail, technology, sales, government, whatever line of work you are in, do you see what you do as a spiritual activity? Do you see what you do as a spiritual activity? Because it is. Your vocation is a full-time ministry. It is an opportunity to bless people, to help people, to serve people, all for the glory of God. So I want, I want to just confess something here. I want to confess something. We as a church and I as a pastor have not talked about this enough. And I apologize for that. I apologize for that because the result, it has resulted in people who feel like their work life, which is a substantial part of our lives, when you think about sleep time and work time, this is work is a substantial part of how we spend our lives, right? It's resulted in people who view their work life as completely separate from their spiritual life. Oh, I'm in church. I'm going to church. Now this is my spiritual life. Oh, now I'm doing that. This is secular. It's resulted in people that view their work life as completely separate from their spiritual life. But it's not. It's not. All of life is spiritual. Your work 
is spiritual. Your vocation is spiritual. Your, your, your leisure time, your exercise routine, your finances, your relationships, all of that is spiritual. All of it's spiritual. And God just wants to be at the center of all of it. He, he just wants to be at the center of all of that. Boaz was an amazing redeemer. He's an amazing redeemer. He had the willingness to redeem. He had the wisdom. He had the resources to redeem Ruth and Naomi, completely changing their lives for the better. So what does this mean for you and me? What does this mean for us? I mean, at one level, we can try and pattern our lives at the example of Boaz, looking for opportunities to help other people. That's great. But if, like me, you believe that the Bible is not simply a collection of a bunch of books, but it actually is telling one story. If you, like me, believe that the Bible is actually telling one story, then there's another meaning to this passage that totally makes it come alive to us. See, Jesus once said that all the scriptures ultimately point to him. And if that's the case... It means that Boaz, the Redeemer, points us to another Redeemer who is even more amazing than Boaz. A Redeemer whose coming we celebrate during this particular season. So look with me at the book of Galatians in the, in the New Testament, begin, chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Look at, this, look at this passage. But when the set time had fully come... God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves but God's children. And since you are his children, he has made you heirs. See, God sent his son to redeem us. But what does that mean? I mean, what does that mean? We can see how Ruth and Naomi needed redemption in their situation, but how do we need redemption? Well, it's because, as Paul says here, and earlier in the same book, we, all of us here, are under the curse of the law. Now, how is God's law a curse? That's an odd thing to say on the surface. How is God's law a curse? It's a curse because when we compare our lives to God's standard, when we compare our lives to God's law, we don't measure up. We don't come close. We don't follow God very well. We are filled with shame. We are in bondage to sin, freely choosing to do so. This is our reality. Compared to the law, it becomes a curse for us. The law of God reveals our shame. It reveals our slavery to sin. And we, it reveals the fact that we have no hope for freedom. We are under the law. That's what we're being held accountable to. And we have no hope for freedom. We have no hope for the future. But in the fullness of time, God sent his son to redeem us from the curse of the law. See, Jesus, our amazing redeemer. 
So why is he so amazing? Well, for one thing, he has the willingness to redeem us. He was willing to come to earth as a baby. He was willing to die on a cross, all because of his said love. We didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve it. We were freely choosing to do our own thing, but he was willing to leave the comforts of heaven and come to earth for us. See, for, for Boaz, Ruth was totally worth it. And to Jesus, you are totally worth it. To Jesus, you are totally worth it. You have a redeemer who was totally willing to pay the ultimate price to redeem you because of his love for you. There's another reason that Jesus is such an amazing redeemer, and that's because of his wisdom in redeeming us. See, from the moment Adam and Eve rebelled against God back in Genesis chapter three, from that moment, God was actually orchestrating a plan. <laughs> he was already orchestrating a plan, a plan that would require a perfect sacrifice for our sin and shame. Now, the only one who could provide a perfect sacrifice was someone who was perfect, right? The only one who could do that was God himself. But how would God get anyone to sacrifice him? Well, he let, he let Satan use pawns like Pontius Pilate and the religious leaders to freely choose to murder the son of God. Satan thought he had won, but no one imagined a resurrection happening. See, God's plan completely fooled Satan. He was totally oblivious to the fact that he, Satan, actually helped God accomplish his plan. <laughs> he actually helped him. I mean, God's wisdom is beyond our comprehension. How he could pull off the, re the, the redemption of humanity right under Satan's nose. Amazing. So not only does Jesus have the willingness and the wisdom to redeem us, he also has the resources. His precious blood shed for us on the cross. Jesus, see, Jesus perfectly kept the law. He perfectly kept the law so that, so that his sacrifice could actually pay for our failure to keep the law. Jesus, Paul says, Jesus became a curse for us. Jesus became a curse for us. He took our sin and our shame upon himself. So Jesus' death and resurrection provide all the resources we need to be redeemed, to be set free from the penalty of our sin and the bondage of our shame so that we can experience life and freedom. No longer slaves, no longer slaves. In Christ, we are now beloved sons and daughters of God. And because of that, Paul says, we are now heirs of God. Think about that. Like Ruth with Boaz, we now share in our Redeemer's legacy. We actually share in Jesus' inheritance, not as outsiders, not as foreigners, but as his precious and beloved children. I mean, think, think for a moment. Think of how Ruth felt 
knowing that Boaz went to all that effort in order to redeem her, in order to make her his bride. Think of how Ruth felt knowing that Boaz loved her that much. So let me just ask, how do you feel? How do you feel knowing that Jesus went to all that effort, giving his life on the cross in order to redeem you, in order to make you his bride. He loves you that much. Do you and I live in the reality of this love? Do, do, do we live in the freedom that Jesus has purchased for us? Do we live with a moment and in a moment by moment awareness of the value that he feels towards us as our redeemer? Do we live in this reality? Let's pray. So Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. This, it's so amazing. The Bible is so amazing how these individual books ultimately tell one story. It's incredible. And thank you for showing us this story and how we might fit into this story that you are writing. So would you speak to us right now as we Move us to respond. Move us to respond right now to your word. So along those lines, I want to just give two invitations here. You can just keep your head bowed, but I want to give two invitations here. So first invitation, there are some of you here who have never really said yes to Jesus on your own. Maybe you know your parents, yeah, you've gone to church, but to, to say yes to Jesus as your redeemer. You've never done that. You've never let Jesus come into your life and transform you. So if that's you in the quiet of your heart, just tell him, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for redeeming me. Just tell him that in the quiet of your heart. You can do it right now. Open your heart to him as your redeemer. Lord, I pray for anyone who prayed that, anyone who opened their heart to you, I pray you would help them grow in this amazing relationship as a beloved son or daughter of yours. Second invitation for those of us here who you were already in a relationship with Jesus and you've studied redemption and you've thrown around that term over and thought about all those things. You, you, you know of redemption. But I want to ask you, are you living in the reality of being his beloved right now? I'm not talking about knowing information in your head. Are you living in the reality of being so valued by him that he would redeem you? He would redeem you. So Jesus, I ask right now, would you help us see afresh, see you afresh as our amazing redeemer right now? 
Not, oh yeah, I did that years ago. No, no, no. I, I pray right now we would see you as our redeemer. That the, 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 the being your beloved sons and daughters, that would be a living reality to us right now. So let's just take a moment, just kind of sit in that truth. Jesus, what an amazing redeemer you are. And I pray you would help all of us live in that amazing reality of what you have done for us and that we would live in this Abba relationship with you. No longer slaves to fear, but free to, to be loved and to love others. You're an amazing redeemer and we, we praise you, we worship you for that.